Japan by River Cruise is made possible by your donations at japanbyrivercruise.com and the generosity of our corporate sponsors. This is a message from Permasleep. These days, everyone wants to sell you a custom face mask. Flip up panels for eating, see through windows that show off your lovely smile, and built in cooling fans are just some of the special features you can enjoy once you've accepted that the lower half of your face has had a good run, but things are what they are now. But what if you just can't accept this as the new norm? Introducing the Permasleep, the only face mask on the market that can guarantee 100% effectiveness in COVID-19 infection prevention. The Permasleep is a one-time use mask with patented locking technology that ensures that once it's on, it isn't coming off again. And while it's the most effective mask on the market for preventing airborne particles from escaping from your mouth, it's also guaranteed to prevent any air from getting in. Just listen to these real testimonials from genuine Permasleep customers. And if that's not enough, we'll also promise a full refund to any customer who, after completing their six-minute trial period, is physically able to request one. Check for details at permasleep.com and buy yours today, because let's face it, it's all downhill from here. Hello, Brian, and welcome back to Japan by River Cruise. I'm Bobby Judo. And I'm Ollie Horn. And joining us this week is Amina Dujan, musician and former J-pop and Gravia Idol, whose photo compilation book, Micro Bikini Riverboat First Date Let's Go, was hailed as the sexiest thing to hit the water since Roku de Nashiko's kayak. Amina, thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. On this week's show, a former Japanese boy band member criticizes K-pop artists, saying the only reason they achieve global success is because they speak English. In related news, Ali is really angry at people who work out for being in better shape than him. We'll ask Amina about the pros and cons of voicing your opinions and beliefs during and after being in an idol group. Plus, Ali's got your weekly River Cruise recommendation. Ali? Yes, this week I'll be ranking all of the river cruisers across Japan according to the strength of their air conditioning and the extent to which they turn a blind eye if you just stay on the boat all day. And I've got two bits of personal news to share. Uh, as you guys know, I've been practicing to get my boat captain's license, and last week I started my practical training. Uh, until recently, Mitsui OSK Lines was giving me the opportunity to practice off the coast of Mauritius, partially because they thought it would be good PR for them. That said, in light of the recent ecological disaster involving a 1,000 metric ton oil spill, which I may or may not have caused, I would like to remind them that technically, no publicity is bad publicity. Yeah, it's the first time I'd heard of them, so well done, Bobby. Anyway, soap talk. Amina, I've talked about this before on the show, but I kind of have a hard time seeing the Japanese idol culture as anything but something created by men for men. But at the same time, I know that there's a huge female fan base. So I'm wondering, what was it about idol culture that first attracted you to being an idol or made you want to be an idol? Well, I mean, ever since I was a little girl, I really liked girl groups. So, I mean, when I was a kid... You know, Destiny's Child was really big, mm. and then Britney Spears, oh my god, she was so big. So I just loved, like, pop idols and pop stars and stuff like that. And I think the concept of idols in Japan originally was to appeal to young girls. Um, obviously, like, the fan base is quite different nowadays, but a lot of groups have, you know, a large fan base that reflect the group members. Yeah. 
I know lots of women and young girls who really like idol groups and really enjoy idol culture. When I was teaching at schools, I saw a lot of it there. And I've got five-year-old twins who are already into like Pritikua and like starting down that path to idol fandom. Um, I'm wondering like, as you're performing, do you see a very different split in the kinds of fan bases that you have? Sure. I think a lot of girls, they like idols because they imagine them like role models or... Mm -hmm. Like their friends, like somebody to look up to. Kind of like the reason why people watch YouTubers. It's like, oh, I wish I had a friend like this girl. Yeah. But I think men can imagine them as maybe uh, like a pseudo-romantic partner or mm. like a daughter, almost. <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned the father-daughter thing because that is often the age gap, isn't it? And I think certainly to westernize idol groups are seen as very sexual in that they're wearing, you know, skimpy clothing and doing uh, sexy dancing. Are they? But I, are they? Are they wearing skimpy clothing? Uh, well, I mean, they're, they're, they're not... I wouldn't say they're wearing modest clothing. I mean, I, I think you have to realise... I'm not sure if, like, the listeners know who AKB48 is, but I'm sure both of you know who they are. They, the reason why they became so famous was because they were so controversial when they first came out. They weren't the standard for idol groups. Now they kind of have set the right. standard. Right, right, okay. But when they first came out, their lyrics and everything are, I mean, they're quite, should I say graphic? They're quite racy, a lot of the lyrics yeah. they use, the way that they dress. But they weren't considered, like... The typical idol Typical, group. right. Yeah, so they changed the paradigm. Yeah, that's so popular. Yeah, they've very pushed everything. Right, because like he he the heavy rotation music video, for example, is them rolling around in mm. bikinis, right? Mm. But, but but it's interesting, this, this idea of kind of the father-daughter relationship. Mm. I, I noticed that it's the groups which kind of have imperfections or, or in their nascency that attract this kind of older fan base. These men mm. like seeing these groups growing up and improving. Mm. And... They kind of, you know, they know that these women aren't going to be their girlfriends, but they, there's kind of a, a relationship of wanting to nurture them. At least that's how it's been explained to me. Yeah. Do you get that impression from your fan base? I mean, I think it really depends. I think it's true. A lot of the people I've had as, as fans, they might have watched me since I was in Michigan, like 15, 16, live streaming online, and they really liked me progressing in Japanese and, um, my singing skills or dancing skills or just typical like seeing where my life goes and some of those people are girls like my age or some obviously could be like older men which of course people might have certain opinions on which are understandable but i do think that different groups attract different fan bases yeah um i've seen groups that are very very small and this is when i was performing um, as a teenager, but even then it stuck out as weird to me. They couldn't have been any older than like seven or eight, but all their fans were like these really old, like 40 year old guys. Yeah. And that's quite strange. But I do think if you go to a typical idol show in Akihabara or somewhere, there's going to be a lot of young guys there too, like in their teens or 20s as well. So you joined the industry at 18 and you yeah. experienced the full spectrum. You did everything from the live music mm. all the way to the very softer end of the soft porn photo shoots. Mm. Now you're back outside of Japan. Mm. You're quite vocal about some of the negative aspects of the industry. And I'm sure mm. we'll talk about that in the news section. Mm. But if you could make kind of one change, if you could introduce one policy to your agency that you think might make things better for the next generation of, of people that join it, what would it be? I, I think idols should have um, 
uh, salary. Mm, right. It's the base salary. And then maybe have some commission. Because for now, I mean, sometimes they get a salary, but for the most part, it's commission-based. And I think it's not really fair. So I think it should just be a flat salary with yeah. some commission-based. If there's a commission, you have an incentive to earn, but but like there's yeah. no there's no bottom like there's no there's of nowhere course. where it bottoms out of course most idols have some part-time job um i mean some do sex work i mean quite a lot that i've met do sex work um or they have a papasan or something some work at mcdonald's i mean most yeah <laughs> have some sort of work you know to survive I mean, for me, I don't really see a distinction between sex work and working at McDonald's. They're two sides of the same coin for me. Oh. <laughs> in, in that they yeah. feed your vices? <laughs> there was really nowhere to go with that analogy that was going to be good for you, Ali. <laughs> well, I think this might be a good place to jump into the news because we've got a guy who's a former pop idol who has made some comments that look like they might result in him working at McDonald's. Let's take a look at the news. Bobby Judo, what's in the news this week? Well, we often pick up articles from places like the Japan Times or Mainichi Shimbun or even Weekly Bunshun, but this is the first time that we've ever run with a story from koreaboo.com. Love it. This story is about Tegoshi Yuya. He's a former member of the Johnny's Gym Show group News, which is a J-pop idol boy band. Uh, and he's facing backlash for an essay he wrote in a book that he released recently. In his essay, people are saying he's being critical of K-pop and K-pop groups like BTS or TWICE, saying, you know, they're only popular because they spoke English and they have international members. Amina, I want to ask, first off, like, as an ex-member of an idol group, speaking out like this, saying something that's either critical of other entertainers or could be seen as critical of his agency is kind of a pretty bold move, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's quite bold. Usually men in Japan can get away with this sort of thing a little more, but I think because it's the same agency, it's kind of... You shouldn't have done it. <laughs> yeah, you're not supposed to make waves for your agency or say anything that reflects negatively on your agency, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's a big no I, th- I think Bobby has raised an interesting point, though, because... In Soap Talk, we were talking about your career as a female idol without really making reference to the fact that there are also men that do this, but get a very different treatment. Do you believe that if a woman were to do this, she would have had much harsher consequences? What are his consequences? Did he just get put on, like, time out or something? (laughs) Well, so far, so this guy is so far, he's in trouble on the internet. Those are the consequences. There was an actor back in the day named uh, Takaoka Sosuke, which he criticized Fuji TV for being what he called a Korean TV station, Um, which I think is kind of funny, Fuji being like the symbol of Japan and calling it a Korean TV station. But this was like during the... the, Korean drama boom. Um, And the consequences for him for calling Fuji TV a Korean TV station were that his agency dropped him and then he his wife left him. I mean, what he said, he should have he should have been smarter about what he said. But is it sexist? I'm not sure, because I think a woman would have probably gotten the same treatment if she had said it. But if they had just put him in time out, which usually happens for male idols, and I would have thought like, maybe it's a bit sexist, because I think 
they're a lot quicker to get rid of like female talento than they are yeah. with men. I think what's at the root of this story is the relationship that a talent has with their agency. Mm. And it seems that, that really what he was doing was trying to externalize his own failure as an artist as he sees it. Right? Mm. He didn't reach the levels that he wanted to. Mm. And sought to suggest that, well, if only uh, his agency had done better to promote them like the Korean uh, mm. K-pop a- agents do. A- and he used, well, they speak English and they have international appeal as kind of just one example of how he didn't feel supported. He didn't feel like he was given a fair shot. And I think it speaks to when you join a talent agency, and I never joined a talent agency, certainly not on any kind of exclusive contract, they do have a huge amount of control of the talent's lives, don't they? They control your image. Yeah, yeah. They, you have to sign something where they say that they control your image. So yeah. that's just such a wide spread thing. <laughs> that could be anything. Like, they want you to stop eating burgers. You have to stop eating burgers. What? Because <laughs> it doesn't fit your image. I'm just giving an example. For me, it would be the opposite. It would be if we see you publicly eating a salad and you get packed. <laughs> <laughs> so Johnny's in, in general. Johnny's is this producer of of boy bands mostly like they produce the most popular boy bands the most successful boy bands throughout uh mm-hmm. japanese pop music history johnny's in particular is very strict with the uh, rules around uh controlling the image and so what i understand yeah. is that they don't even necessarily let you tweet out your own photos you no. can't use your own images on social media i mean there's a lot of rules so johnny's is incredibly strict because they're like i mean they've basically monopolized the market for male Idols. There's other groups outside of Johnny's, but they're like the big one. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're they're quite strict. Like you can't, at least for my group. I knew you couldn't tweet after a certain time. You can't tweet mm. after like maybe 10 p.m. Yeah. Because if you're tweeting at 11, it's like, oh, what kind of woman is she? She's tweeting at. She's up at 11 o'clock. Uh-huh. Um, it's very presidential behavior, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> tweeting yeah, at four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. yeah. And they have to have your password as well. You can't have locked accounts. You can't DM your fans. You can't, like, sometimes you can't retweet people or can't respond to certain people. Um, It's quite strict, yeah. You can't take photos with the opposite sex. Well, you're not allowed to date, are you? Okay, here's the truth about that. If there's any idol fans listening, (laughs) I'm sorry I'm going to break your heart. They ruled, I think, in 2010, 2011, Mm -hmm. like the high courts in Tokyo, I forgot what. They ruled that it's inhumane for them, and I mean it is, it's inhumane for them to put it in a contract that you can't date. Yeah. So what they do instead is they say that we control your image, and a part of that is they say you can't take photos with the opposite sex. So a lot of idols have boyfriends and stuff. But it's pretty much don't get caught, don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. Pretty much the policy. Yeah. You're not supposed to have a boyfriend, but in reality, a lot of idols do. Yeah. I guess that also helps with your relationship with fans too. It's just a very easy thing to say to a fan. Well, I'm not allowed a boyfriend. Mm. Therefore, <laughs> this is this is going nowhere. Exactly. Yeah. I, I I had an incident when I was 18. This fan, he got me these tickets to this concert for Valentine's Day. And we've been chatting online for like a few years, just as friends. We had similar hobbies and like figure collecting and stuff like that. 
But he was like a 40-year-old man, you know, like otaku type of guy. So he got me <laughs> these tickets for this concert. And we'd have to go on Valentine's Day together. And I, I wanted to go to the concert, but I didn't want to, like, accept the tickets because mm. the, like, implications of that. So I just used, I asked my manager, I told him, he was like, well, just tell him, like, you're not allowed because you're an idol. And then yeah. I told him. Yeah, so it was, like an, it was like an excuse to get out, get out of that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I told him. Uh, it was kind of sad, but, <laughs> yeah. Uh. So it's interesting that you mentioned that uh, Johnny's and their boy bands have dominated the market because the issue with this story overall is that they've only dominated the Japanese market. And I read through this essay, Avalanche, in this book that this guy, uh, Tegoshi Yuya, has put out. And one of the things he says is, he says, now, when you go to countries around the world, it's not Johnny's gym show music you hear, Mm. but K-pop. And Mm. I read that and I was like, what the hell is he talking about? At what point in the world did you go to other countries and hear Johnny's gym show? And if he's talking about like other Asian countries, like maybe Taiwan or maybe yeah, China, yeah. someplace where like like Japanese pop music caught on, mm-hmm. I understand that. But he's specifically referencing Twice and BTS and the Billboard US charts. And I looked it up, and I can't find any instances where Johnny's music ever made the top 100. Never. <laughs> so, so what is he talking about? When you go to other countries, they're not playing Johnny's. It's like they never were. I mean, Americans do this too. Okay, it's not just Japanese. Every every people do this. But they kind of have this idea that like everybody around the world knows like this sort of thing. Like yeah, Johnny's, yeah. like you said, yeah. Whereas, yeah, maybe like you said, somewhere in Asia, that might have been the case. But yeah. I don't know. I think it's just jealousy, probably. But the thing is, the Japanese music industry, they specifically have cornered themselves to be exclusively in Japan. They don't want to go overseas. If they wanted to, they would have tried to. And to be honest, I think maybe it's a little... I mean, groups like Perfume have, Hmm. obviously, but I think for the majority of the industry, it might be a bit too late because you have this uh, Korean wave everywhere and they've done a good job of it i mean i think they've done a good job of it i simultaneously hate and love the idea that music fans in america are like only one kind of asians too late for Mm. japanese we've got our asians (laughs) (laughs) it's like we're progressive but we have limits i just think that the japanese music industry has been quite stagnant and they haven't really made a concerted effort to kind of use music as like a form of soft power whereas you see as korea they completely revamped their entertainment and you know, nobody cared about korean music like 20 years ago like outside yeah. of korea but now you know they've used it as a method of soft power and they've done it yeah. quite quite well so a lot of people are upset about this article because they're saying he's being critical of K-pop. He's undermining the success of K-pop. But I read it more as like he's criticizing the way Japan presents its music. I think so too. I think it speaks to the fact that Japan's strategy hasn't really moved on. Mm. The, one thing that, that demarcates K-pop is it's a very digital first strategy. Mm. They release the music first on YouTube and they accompany it with dance moves which are replicable and copyable. Mm. Whereas Japan, on the other hand, you can't even watch full clips 
of Japanese songs on YouTube. They give you like a one minute clip mm. and then send you to the CD store to buy, mm. to buy a CD. Or they'll ban you from YouTube from sharing the yeah. The video is yeah. quite strict on that. Whereas Korean music, when they first started out, it was like everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, and the way to get a hit now is to just get mass distribution very quickly. That's why, that's why TikTok is such a strong platform to release a song. That's why Jason Derulo did so well because one segment of his latest song was perfect to dance along to, and now that gets broadcast to every single mobile phone. Yeah. So do you think this also just speaks to just Japan's strategy? Maybe worked ten, twenty years ago, mm. but it's just not suited for the digital era. Oh no, I definitely agree. I think they think. Which is kind of true. They make enough money in Japan, and neighboring Asian countries. So it's like, why, why bother? But yeah. I also think there is a fundamental cultural difference in the way that entertainment is pre uh, presented in Japan and in Korea. Because I read somewhere that the average Korean idol trains for three years before they mm. debut. In Japan, it's three months because <laughs> they have this element with idols of. Um, Wabi sabi, you know, like yeah, yeah, the imperfection perfect, being part of the yeah. yeah. Whereas Korea takes a more Western approach mm -hmm. to entertainment of everything is completely polished. They look immaculate. Mm -hmm. They're doing everything perfectly. Whereas in Japan, I don't. It's more like American Idol. Like mm -hmm. you kind of want to see someone. Grow. We talked about this in our episode with Sophie Hardison, where uh, the podcast said very clearly that we think Korean pop music is objectively better <laughs> because in, in a quality level, because Japan mm, really does, course. they multimeter, they, they appreciate and look for that imperfection. Somebody's not the perfect singer. They don't have the best tone. Their dance moves aren't super polished. Of and course. when you remove it from that culture and you're just showing another country something that is objectively lesser quality, all they have to respond to is the fact that it's lesser quality. Yes, because they don't see that group as the underdog. Because they've already been launched on an international stage. Yeah. And a big part of the appeal to idols in Japan is their personalities. So them appearing on TV, on talk shows, on radio shows. And if you can't speak the language, then obviously you're not going to be able to pick up on... I mean, okay, you can watch it with subtitles, but it's a bit different. So again, it kind of has this appeal of, like, like we were saying earlier, like a YouTuber. Something that you can connect to. And if it's not in your native language and... It's yeah. not uh, culturally relevant to you. You can't really make a connection. It's like in AKB, they have these marketing campaigns where mm. you buy a bunch of the CD, the same CD to vote for your favorite member. Yeah. But the day after, the CDs are worth like, what, a dollar or something? Because they don't care about the CDs. They want but to they're support. expensive, the aren't they? I know, yeah. The, the CDs are really expensive. I remember being shocked. It's like 30 US dollars for one album but then the next day they're worthless because people have bought a bunch of them just to inflate the numbers on the on the charts mm. because they don't care about the music they, they yeah. want to support the 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 girl they like whereas in the u.s again it's much more quality based yeah and the sad thing is that so much of that support especially the financial support is not going to the girl that they want to support it's going to oh, the agency that. and the record it's going company to Akimoto. <laughs> yeah I think it's interesting you said that it's a problem with how Japan presents its music or rather doesn't present its music overseas because Tegoshi Yuya said the same thing. He says Korea has a national policy of supporting the arts and promoting its music and its cultural properties abroad. And he said Japan doesn't. As foreigners who've lived in Japan, we all know 
that there's cool Japan, right? There's a mm. whole law, there's a whole government fund dedicated to promoting its cultural stuff abroad, but not the music. And I love the idea that there are like government employees deciding what's going to go on Cool Japan and being like, Naruto fish cakes, okay. Maid cafes, okay. Toilets that wash your butt, okay. Boy bands, nah. <laughs> they don't make the cut. Amina, do you see an opportunity in idols creating their own content themselves and controlling the means of production? I'm sounding very Marxist now. But, you know, OnlyFans, for example, takes that section of idledom and, and puts the money straight into the fans' pockets. You can rent out your own live house and put on your own shows and take the majority of the ticket money. Do you see that kind of trend? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely become a lot more popular in the past maybe five or so years. Um, you know, the 2000s was called, like, Idol Sengoku Jidai, like the warring states of the idols, because there's so many groups. Mm. But I think now there's a lot more self-produced groups. So girls making their own music and making their own dances and producing their own stuff, which I think is really cool. Um, but I think overall, as you know, in Japan, it's quite bureaucratic. So yeah. people still want to go like the traditional route, even if it doesn't work for anybody at all. It's, yeah. goes the traditional route. Well, he's in a safer. Yeah. yeah. In this essay, he's really complaining that the traditional route doesn't work for anyone at all. He's saying there are better ways to promote, there's better ways to adopt strategies. And there's an interpretation of his essay that I think is is both super obvious and super valid. Like he's saying groups like TWICE have multicultural, multinational, multilingual members, and that increases their chances of succeeding overseas. And he's saying, if Johnny's did that, they would have better chances of succeeding overseas. But the reason this comes off as sour grapes is because the logical consequences of his argument is if Johnny's did that, this dude would have never been in the band. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like, dude, dude, please don't start advocating they should select on merit. This is not going to work out for you. <laughs> So Tegoshi Yuya is saying things that are being taken as critical of Korea, critical of the Japanese music industry. But at the heart of this essay, he has a valid point. You know, he's, he's saying that Japan needs to change the idol culture and the way they market themselves and do business globally, and they could be more successful. I mean, since you've left the idol industry, we've seen on Twitter that you also kind of speak out about things that you'd like to see change or things that you see as negative. Um, what do you think is the path forward for a more successful and a healthier idol industry? When I was doing idol stuff, I still, I kind of, sometimes I would speak up about stuff and it would get a ton of like retweets and stuff like that, and mm. um, which I thought was good, but I think it kind of hurt me as well um, on some fronts. Mm. Um, just because in Japan, you know, in the idol industry, you're not supposed to talk about certain things. And just being a woman in general in Japan, you're not supposed to really mm. speak about certain things. But I think now that I'm a lot more open, I can talk about, I guess, sort of important things. Um, one thing that I kind of brought to attention years ago was this DJ, this, like, idol DJ, who... I guess you could say like sexually harassed me, but it got like a lot of attention and I got mm. like messages from like 
Japanese idols as well, like saying like the stuff that he did and got a lot of feedback from people like in the Japanese idol industry. So I think sometimes you need that. You need somebody who's going to be a bit more outspoken to kind of get issues forward. Yeah. But I think in general, now that I'm not doing idol stuff, I can I can be a bit more honest about um, myself. So I've been doing a lot of organizing with sex workers' rights. Um, I've been in contact with like Japanese sex worker rights uh, mm. groups as well. And yeah, I mean, that doesn't really focus around idol stuff necessarily but i do have this platform now from that so i'd like to use that platform to mm. other causes i think that are important if you compare like when you were doing nico nico dolga and now when you're kind of on your own on your own platform free to speak about whatever you want to speak about to when you were in an agency and and in that you know idol industry do you see a big difference between the kinds of change that you're able to make or the kinds of conversations you're able to have I definitely see a big difference, but I mean, agency or not, I'm sorry if this sounds nihilistic, but agency or not, I think on social media, you're so somewhat beholden to some sort of audience. So you might not have an agency policing you, but you still have some audience you kind of have to answer to. <laughs> not us. <laughs> Brian can go fuck himself. Hey, thanks very much for listening to this episode 48 of Japan by River Cruise. As ever, thanks to everyone who supports the show and thanks to everyone who follows us on Twitter. We got suspended. We're back now. Join us at JBRC Pod. And thank you to our guest this week, Amina Dijon. We really appreciate your time. Can you tell the Bryans where to find you online? Hey, everybody. Please follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Amina Dijon if you want to see some of the activism I do or just random food that I post. That's that's what everybody says about their social media accounts. Like, the thing I do, and also food. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Brian. We'll see you next week. <laughs>